what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group, American National Insurance, and Spiritless. The holidays are fast approaching, and choosing the right wine to pair with your holiday meal can be intimidating, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Holiday meals can be a little heavy, so you want to choose wines that are graceful and balanced. Sanford Winery in Santa Barbara County offers a delightful Chardonnay and a delicious Pinot Noir. Both pair beautifully with your fall favorites and holiday meals. Sanford's award-winning wines are elegant, sophisticated, and show-stopping. You can purchase Sanford's wines on Uncork.com. Listeners of To Dine For The Podcast will receive a 15% discount now through December 15th by entering promo code TODINEFOR at checkout. Cheers! To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Before we get to the podcast, I want to share the story of three young women who are carving their own path in the beverage industry. They started a company called Spiritless. Their first product is called Kentucky 74, and it's a non-alcoholic bourbon. You can use it as the base for so many delicious mocktails or drink it by itself on the rocks. What I like to do is go halvesies, meaning you mix it with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail. I put a little honey, cinnamon, and an orange slice, and it is truly delicious. If you'd like to enjoy an evening cocktail with no guilt, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most innovative and fascinating minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Chef Scott Conant. I'm a little bit old school because I came up in a time when it wasn't about Instagram photos and neon signs on the wall. Mm. It was about honesty, integrity, and soulfulness. That is chef, cookbook author, and TV personality Scott Conant, who brings his own unique recipe of passion and love to creating amazing dishes with thoughtful hospitality and soulful cuisine. He is the chef and owner of Italian-American dining destination The Americano in Scottsdale, Arizona, as well as Mora Italian in Phoenix, Arizona. Conan is a longtime judge on Food Network's Chopped, host of the spin-off series Chop Sweets, and frequent co-host on Beat Bobby Flay. He's written a new book called Peace, Love, and Pasta, his most personal book yet. And today we talk about his journey as a chef and restaurateur and his ever-evolving view of happiness and success. 
Please enjoy my interview with Scott Conant. Scott, great to see you. Thank you so much for being on To Dine For The Podcast. It is my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to hear about your new book, Peace, Love, and Pasta. But before we dive into the book, take me way back. I know you grew up in New England. I grew up south of Boston and Massachusetts. You grew up in Connecticut. Tell me a little bit about your love of cooking. Where did it begin? And really those early days of how it all got started. You know, I, I grew up in, a, in an, an Italian-American family. My father grew up on a farm in the north of Maine, and my mm-hmm. mother was, is, is Italian-American. And just my grandparents had a huge garden. So there was, you know, she grew up with a lot of, obviously, Italian food. My father grew up with this deep appreciation for farming and food and all that kind of stuff. So I think that kind of permeated my perspective from a pretty early age. And then I, you know, I, I played baseball as a kid. I ate a lot as a kid. I was a chubby, I was a chubby kid. And, <laughs> and I feel like, you know, um, I wasn't going to play, I was going to play for the New York Yankees. Even though I grew up in New, in New England, I, I, you know, I grew up in that Waterbury, Connecticut is that border. Yes, Connecticut is where it gets fuzzy. It's where the Boston yeah. folks kind of separate and we go towards Yankee country, isn't it? It, it, it is, mm-hmm. it is. And, you know, I, I feel like I landed on the right side of things and you would probably feel like I landed <laughs> on the wrong. <laughs> so would you say that it was in high school that you really felt like, oh, this could, is most likely going to be my profession or I at least have a passion for this and I'm going to go for it? Yeah. I mean, I was 15 years old. I went to a vocational school. You know, there's a lot of those schools mm-hmm. throughout uh, throughout New England and uh, in New York and, you know, all that stuff. And I couldn't get into the plumbing program. So as a second choice... <laughs> I know. I always say I still wear my pants like that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? You really were going to go into the plumbing program and couldn't get in, so you went cooking? I, so cooking was my second choice. <laughs> my third choice, we had to have three choices. I uh, My third choice was, uh, was hairdressing, which, you know, I feel like, you know, that could have come in handy too. <laughs> a true vocation. So you were actually looking for a vocation in your vocational technical school. That's awesome. Um, yeah. and, but you know, once you once you got cooking, so to speak, you really had some amazing first experiences um, in New York. I know you traveled to, I believe it was Germany and That's worked right. on yeah. uh, your pastry skills. So clearly this was more than just getting a job, right? This was, you, you had to, if you're in Germany working on pastry, it's because it's something you love. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. I, uh, I, I loved it. I was very fortunate. I'm still very fortunate to be able to do what I love so much um, and make a living at it. You know, there really is something to be mm-hmm. said about that. You know, the follow your bliss ideation of Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm. I've always subscribed to that. Um, mm-hmm. I always felt like as long as I'm doing what I love, I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's those areas where, you know, I feel like certain times in my life I've been chasing money. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't worked out so much because mm-hmm. there's just a lack of love uh, for some of those things. But when you're just you're just in it and you're just not even thinking about it and you're going with the flow and and things are just going well because of because of the passion and the love that you have for what you do life just seems to work out a little bit better you bring up a really interesting point and that is i feel like chefs that are really big personalities like yourself who also have a real talent for cooking there is a lot of pressure 
to keep creating restaurants. And there's a lot of money dangled in front of you to keep doing more and more and more when, you know, we can only cook one meal at a time, right? Can you talk a little bit about that tension between, and you've opened so many restaurants, you've worked in a lot of restaurants and you've opened so many yeah. on your own, that tension between what it really takes to make a successful restaurant and then tempering that with your love of why you got started and your true passion. Yeah. Well, you know, that love of the, the true passion of being in a restaurant and, and being in a restaurant for 18 hours a day uh, takes a toll. Yeah. It really takes no a toll. Joke. I could tell you that it has taken a toll on me. I'm not as young as I used to be. But those days of 18 hours, I you know, I put in 18 hours a day still, but not necessarily on the line grinding, working. You know, I do things like this. I'm very fortunate. I have other opportunities uh, in front of me. But as far as the success of a restaurant, there needs to be a strong presence of leadership inside a restaurant. And it's really hard to sit in an office like this and try to run a restaurant from you know a thousand miles away uh that just doesn't work mm -hmm. so you need to have a strong team you need to have a team that you trust you need to have open communication and you need to have hard conversations as well sometimes mm -hmm. and and I, I i'm not sure people really understand uh how difficult some of those things are where you have somebody working really hard running a restaurant for you mm -hmm. and then things go sideways and you have to have a hard conversation with them and they feel unappreciated. And those are leadership challenges, I would say that we, you know, that's what we face. You know, it's the price you pay for the life you choose. I think that was a godfather <laughs> line at one point, but it really is truly. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. You need to have that framed and put on a wall somewhere. But I think, I, I mean, I honestly feel like it's a rare person that can have the actual cooking acumen skills and passion and also have what you just described as great management style and management skills to make those hard decisions that so often happen in a restaurant. What I've experienced is that a lot of people think that there's a certain glamour in what it is that I do. Mm -hmm. And in, when we started doing this, when I started doing this in 1985, uh, when I got my first job in, in at the Sea Loft in Waterbury, Connecticut, mm -hmm. um, there's a great recipe that adapted from the Sea Loft, just while it's on my mind, in peace, love, and pasta for a baked stuffed lobster, which, which that's a separate conversation. But when I started doing this, there was no glamour. Mm. You know, I would come home at the end of the day and I was working 60 hours a week plus going to high school. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, that's crazy. That was crazy. It was mm -hmm. crazy. I would get home at midnight and I would be up for school at six o'clock in the morning and I would do it all over again. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I, I, that's how much I loved it, but there's no glamor in that. I would get home and I would have to leave my clothes on the porch and go take a shower <laughs> because they smelled because I stunk. I smelled yeah. like fish. <laughs> yeah. I remember a girl, a girl that I had a really big crush on in high school. One time she took my denim coat and she put it on and you know, it smelled like fish <laughs> and she just embarrassed me in front of the whole class. Years of therapy to get so over So romantic, <laughs> so romantic, Scott. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I couldn't figure out why she wasn't into me. Yeah, <laughs> shocking, right? <laughs> shocking. Um, when you look back now on your early days working in Manhattan, uh, on building some of the restaurants that you've built, you've uh, James Beard, uh, your Michelin stars, Scarpetta, which is such a wonderful, fabulous restaurant I love, and then your your TV work, you know, Chopped and being on the Food Network. What aspect of this business? do you feel like is most uniquely you that is really Scott? 
I'm a restaurant guy ultimately, and what love it or love it or not, I mean, it's a it's a more challenging game restaurants than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I also I'm a little bit old school because I came up at a time when it wasn't about Instagram photos and neon signs on the wall. Mm-hmm. It was about honesty, integrity, and soulfulness. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to pause there for a second because I really want that to like hit. You know what I mean? Like, like real that. hospitality, like like true, when like was, old school hospitality. When it was about, a, you know, a, a proper maitre d' taking care of guests, when it was about us in the back, we're just giving it a good, not that the teams these days don't do that. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong, but there was a different approach. Mm-hmm. It, it, it uh, there, as I said, there was just no glamour in it mm-hmm. back then. It, you were doing it for the love of the game, so to speak. We didn't make any money. I think my first job I was making uh, in New York City, I was making a, less than $12,000 a year. Wow. You just think about, yeah. think about that. Yeah. You know, that's, you Stunning. know, and I was working 90 to hundred hours a week. I wasn't doing it for the money. I was doing it because I wanted to learn. I wanted to get ahead. I wanted to survive. It was a challenge to survive. I don't come from a family where, you know, my parents could kind of support that life and lifestyle. So I needed to work for it and I needed to have three roommates in a, in a studio apartment in order to make all this stuff work. I think one of the benefits of today is that a lot of the, the you know, the quote unquote kids coming up, they're not going to stand for that. From an old school perspective, say that gave me chops and it gave me character mm-hmm. and I knew what it was to struggle mm-hmm. and survive and get through it. But I don't think you need to struggle to be successful at anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I had a flawed vision of what success uh, for me was, what it, the, the path to success. And, and I feel like a lot of kids these days have a different idea. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because I kind of feel similarly. I, I worked my way up in local TV news. I worked three jobs. I was a waitress. I was also your evening yeah. news reporter. And, you know, I was doing it all <laughs> and like making no money. And I, I I personally, I don't know another way. I, I don't know how I would have been successful any other way without the struggle. Like it's almost part of my identity. So it's interesting that you say that you think you can be successful without the struggle. Can you unpack that a little? I don't know if I can unpack it. I think it's a, just a flawed thinking that we came up with, that mm-hmm. it's something that we felt like we had to do. Yeah. And now they don't feel like they need to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and people are still finding, identifying success. Inevitably, there is an evolution, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if life has taught me anything, just from observing, from sitting back and observing the whole picture, I'm not going to hold on to something that's now considered a flawed thought process. I'm not going to hold on to a struggle that I I don't think I need. I definitely don't need it anymore. Right, you maybe, don't need it. Maybe back then it made sense, but now is the opportunity to change our mindset because mm-hmm. there's no quicker way to get old than to hold on to things of the past and mm. sit there and say, well, freaking kids these days. Amen. That is you know so I mean? true. That is so true. If you don't, right, if you don't adapt and evolve, you die, right? So I don't always agree with a lot of the stuff that happens these days, right? I, I right. we don't need to get into politics and in the insanity <laughs> of, of the, the polarization of this country. Right. But I think it is important to respect where people are coming from. Simple as that. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. 
You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. The holidays are fast approaching, and choosing the right wine to pair with your holiday meal can be intimidating, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Holiday meals can be a little heavy, so you want to choose wines that are graceful and balanced. Sanford Winery in Santa Barbara County offers a delightful Chardonnay and a delicious Pinot Noir. Both pair beautifully with your fall favorites and holiday meals. Sanford's award-winning wines are elegant, sophisticated, and show-stopping. You can purchase Sanford's wines on Uncork.com. Listeners of To Dine For The Podcast will receive a 15% discount now through December 15th by entering promo code TODINEFOR at checkout. Cheers. Now back to our conversation. You wrote a book called Peace, Love, and Pasta, which I love. It's supposed to be your most personal book yet. Can you tell, give me a little overview of it and why did you want to write this unique POV? I feel like there's an an inherent evolution as we kind of alluded to earlier, or there should be in your thought processes and your thinking. I never cooked a lot at home. I was always working. As I Mm -hmm. said, it's really hard to cook at home when you're working a hundred hours a week. Sure. Um, you know, you, first of all, you don't have the time. And second of all, you definitely don't have the energy. That being said, um, I cook a lot for my family. I cook a lot for my, for, my, for my girls, for my daughters. And I wanted some of that to be present in the book. On a personal level, there's a whole spiritual uh, aspect to some of these things. That's a little bit more personal. I don't engage in a lot of that in the, in the cookbook. But I do think that it's important to have those things to look at that are even if they're just personal. So Peace and Love and Pasta is a, is a combination, a culmination, I would say, of, of all of those things coming together, cooking at home, cooking for my family, identifying my past, what's worked, some of the dishes that I've loved from my past and kind of tweaking them for what works for me and my family today, and then sharing it with people. You were intentional about calling your book Peace, Love, and Pasta. And I'm, I'm, you're, yeah. getting, you're hinting that they're the meditative spiritual aspect of your life is something that, if not then, now is very important to you. Is that part of why you titled it that way? 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's an important aspect of, of, of who I am and who I self-identify with. I think that um, that little, it's allowed me from some self-reflection uh, and it's allowed me to, to be more present I would say in my life and, and more present with my food, more present with my family, more mm-hmm. present with my children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I see a lot of successful people that make mistakes with their kids 
And I don't want to be one of those people. I mean, ultimately, our children need to be who they want to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm never going to stand away from that individuality. Uh, but I do want to just give them hints and tips and tricks. And as I always say, let me have made the mistake so they don't, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it certainly does. It certainly does. And presence is the biggest thing you can give your child, right? Just time, right? Time is, the, is what they want. It's one of the biggest things. I Years ago, I saw a shaman. And I said exactly what you're saying. Like, you know, I just want to spend time with them. I, I, want, to, I want them to, you know, to feel comfortable with me. And I want to be a loving father. And, you know, what else can I do? And she looked at me and she said, I'm going to be honest with you. And I said, please, like, you know, hurt my feelings if you have to. But, let, you know, let's, let, I want to be better. That's why I'm having this conversation in the first place. And she said, the best thing you could do, Scott, you fix your shit your kids are going to be better from it. Mm. And I really took that to heart. I took mm. that to a place where I very shortly after that, I quit drinking. Mm. I, because I didn't want my kids growing up in a world like I did, where someone drinking or being drunk was perfectly normal. And you accept that into your life as mm -hmm. you get older. Mm -hmm. I thought, let me not drink and be present. And when they do see someone who's drunk and acting like a like an ass, mm -hmm. they could discern whether or not that's for them. Mm. Um, but more likely than not, they're going to say, this is this is not the way people act. Mm. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I, it does. It's, it's not enough to be present. It's not enough to just be there. You want to be your best self and to kind of self-analyze what's going on, what you know is probably going on. I mean, I think we all are in denial to some degree as to what our flaws are, but we know deep down. There are moments where I kind of stop and I say, what am I feeling right now? These feelings of anxiety or anxiousness or whatever it is, how do I pinpoint what I'm feeling and how do I draw a straight line to what got me to this feeling? Mm. And I think that kind of insight into your own personal emotion just simply makes us better because we're more present with our own comfort. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. And, and what I'm hearing from you is like your life as someone in the restaurant business, a restaurateur, a chef... Uh, a TV personality has been a huge evolution and you've, you've had a lot of high highs and low lows. And right now you're on a completely different path. Am I, am I hearing you correctly? Well, uh, not necessarily. I'm still ambitious to a fault. Um, but I, I think whether or not I, I can identify further success, um, I want to be really comfortable with who I am, mm. um, whether or not the success comes or goes. I mean, we all have dreams, right? Mm. And it's okay to dream and it's okay to manifest. I think it's important to do those things. Mm. I think it's important. I think Muhammad Ali has a quote where it says something along the lines of, you know, this, if you're the same person at 50 as you were with 20, you wasted 30 years. Mm. Something along those lines, to paraphrase. I also take that to heart. I also think that that's important. I, I love my father, but I don't want to be my father, mm. right? I think the intention is, is that, and I say this to my daughters all the time, um, you know, your goal is to make your life better for yourself than I made it for you mm. or better for your children than I made it for you. And my father would tell me that all the time. And, and I want to, I want to kind of push that, move that forward for my own children. Isn't it interesting how we always tell young people to just be themselves, right? To be themselves. And the journey in life is to find out a little bit more about who you really are. And I think, I wish I knew that at, at 20, 
that it is going to take a lifetime. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. I feel like it is a lot. It is. Yeah. It is. You never really figure out who you are. I mean, you do, but it's like layer after layer after layer. And what I'm hearing from you is that you know it's been the same way for you, and that you know even now as you journey forward, you want to be closer to who you truly are. Well, I think the opportunity is to to. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit. I think we want our children to be who they are, right? But we want them, our children to be their best selves mm-hmm. all the time. You know, sometimes we, we make decisions that, that are kind of small, one-sided, egotistical decisions, but instead to make decisions that, that are for the greater good, mm-hmm. the greater good of themselves and the people around them. And how do you make your life better on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. And just being mindful of some of those things. I think it's important. So it's a Friday night and you're cooking for your family. What what do you love to cook? What would you get really excited about going and shopping for the ingredients and making on a Friday night for your family? Oh, it totally depends. I mean, it could be something like mashed potatoes. It could be, you know, loaded baked potatoes. You know what I mean? Like it could be something really simple. And sometimes like, you know, last night I just, I broiled some halibut. I mean, it was really simple and straightforward. I took some tomatoes and tossed them in a vinaigrette mm. and everybody seemed happy with that. Um, <laughs> Back to your Connecticut times, roots. Yeah, yeah yes. exactly. Yeah. Um, I, sometimes I let the market speak to me. Sometimes I just get a craving for certain things. And, you know, in the, in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I had realized that I had never given my daughters a, a bologna sandwich. Mm. This is simple bologna sandwich where mm. I grew up on mm-hmm. bologna from the deli mm-hmm. down on the corner from Cavallo's Deli. Mm-hmm. And so I made some bologna sandwiches for them. And, and Do uh, they like them? And now like maybe once a month, once every six weeks, we have cold cut nights and we'll make, <laughs> you know, a, Italian heroes. They're good. Well, Italian heroes are different from bologna sandwiches, but I mean, as long as as you've got really quality, good mustard, I could eat a bologna sandwich for sure. I was always a mayonnaise with bologna guy, but don't judge me, please. (laughs) (laughs) So we have touched on why you, why you titled the book, Peace, Love, Pasta, but what are some standout recipes that people can expect and, and kind of what kind of food are we talking? There's a lot inside there. There's a lot of my travels over the 35 years that I've been cooking now. I, you know, some stuff from when I lived in Germany, some things from uh, from Italy when I through my travels through there, uh, some Italian American stuff that you know play on my mother's Sunday tomato sauce that she would make with lamb shanks and sausage and meatballs and all kinds of stuff inside that pot, and she would just cook that seemingly forever. And we would walk by with a piece of bread and mm-hmm. dunk it inside. And that was like the lunch, be- you know, the, the breakfast before the uh, the inevitable late lunch that we would have with all that stuff. So there's so many, just, and then there's a Turkish section. My wife is Turkish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I put some some things in there that I, I like to cook for the family that are, you know, decidedly uh, Turkish Middle Eastern dishes. The the term hospitality that we talked about a little bit earlier, I feel like, you know, the need for great hospitality has never been so great as right now. Yet I feel like the diners that are going out to eat are completely changed by the pandemic in many ways. And I'm just wondering if your concept of hospitality, being a restaurateur and being entrenched in the business, whether your concept has changed pre-pandemic versus post-pandemic. No, I feel like the only thing that's really, truly changed is the convenience expectation from the guest. Mm. Um, People always want what they want. Mm -hmm. Now it seems that people tend to be a little more um, 
you know, they, they hit the point harder. You know what I mean? Yes. Like people are, are, there's just no BS with yes. a lot of, with a lot of people right now. Yes. They say, this is what I want. If they don't get it, they kind of lose their, yes. kind of lose it a little bit. I also feel like when people are well cared for and well taken care of, there's an inevitable gratitude because people have missed it mm. also. They have missed it. They have missed yeah. really great hospitality. And it, you know, being so short staffed at restaurants across the country, it is hard. It's it's really hard, but yet the need is there and, and there's an audience waiting, you know, there's waiting for great hospitality. One of the premises of To Dine For is that someone's favorite restaurant it begins to tell you their stories. And, you know, very often it's a nod to their culture, whether that's an Italian yeah. restaurant or whether it is just a place that they're obsessed with. It begins to, you get to yeah. learn about somebody. So I'm just wondering of all the restaurants in this country, and you've been to so many wonderful ones, is there one yeah. that you would really point to as one of your favorites? I would say there's two. Number one, it was, in, in the, you know the problem? They're both closed. They're both not open at the moment. Cafe Baloo in New York City, mm. Danielle's restaurant. Mm -hmm. I have been there so many times to, in different phases of my life, mm -hmm. you know, in different places of my career and life. And I have always found that restaurant, like all things Danielle, to be incredibly thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And um, it makes me feel grounded in, in just appreciative of the love of food mm. um, that he, that he has, that his team has, that, you know, he's been through several different chefs in that restaurant mm -hmm. and I've been to every single incarnation of it. And I've always had great meals, great meals, not good, not really appreciative, just great meals from hospitality, the service, the greeting at the door, the food, the approach in general, how, modern or entrenched in the past it is you know what i mean there's it you can't build unless you really understand the foundation of great cuisine uh and i feel like they do it well it's warm it's yeah. inviting it's always delicious yes. it's it's beautiful and you just it feels very comforting but it is decidedly new york mm -hmm. right because there is an ambition there and on the opposite side of the spectrum in uh, meadowwood in saint elena is my other favorite restaurant which is shut down it burned a, a couple last year around this time, as a matter of fact. So in the fires, Chris Castau is the chef and his, it's really hard to explain. There's a cerebral approach to food that he has that's mm -hmm. somehow comforting and equally as warm, but it has that California ease to it, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a strategy to it and there's a, a care in the ingredients and how it's presented. Yeah, and smart and touching the soul. I mean, there was a there was a point in the meal where I got I got choked up because I just emotional. felt I, it was an emotional experience for me. Yeah. Oh, that and that's and that must be yeah. really cool for you because that can inform all the decisions you make about your restaurants and just even your Friday night meal with your family and like what that what you create. Isn't that what it's all about? Yeah. Aren't we just meant to be? You know. Yes. Our souls to be touched. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like it, that's, that is the reason why I feel like we go through this life to be able to experience those, those touching moments, those, those little moments where you can just kind of look inwardly and say, this is incredibly personal. And I'm deeply touched and flattered that they would share this with me. Yeah. And that, that connection that we all have to each other, that it's not that we as humans, right? That humanity, that shared humanity. Absolutely. 
Scott, thank you so much. Cheers to you. This has been wonderful. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Enjoy your day. And thank you for doing To Dine For The Podcast. Have a great one. Cheers. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 